Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by the premier Doctor of Ministry in Church Leadership Excellence from Wesley Theological Seminary and the Lewis Center for Church Leadership. With this track, clergy will receive enhanced knowledge, skills, and motivation to increase congregational and denominational service, vitality, and growth. Learn more and apply for May 2024 at wesleyseminary.edu slash dmin. And remember, to stay up to date with the latest church leadership strategies and information, please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos. How can preachers keep their preaching fresh? In this episode, Teresa Fry Brown, professor of preaching at Candler School of Theology, shares strategies for preaching familiar texts for different generations, preaching for in-person and digital audiences, and sermon preparation for bivocational pastors. Welcome to Leading Ideas Talks, a podcast featuring thought leaders and innovative practitioners. I am Douglas Poe, the director of the Lewis Center, and your host for this talk. Joining me is Dr. Teresa Fry Brown. She's the Bandy Professor of Preaching at Candler School of Theology, the Associate Dean of Academic Affairs, and the author of many books, including Delivering the Sermon. Our focus for this podcast is how to keep preaching fresh. Dr. Fry Brown, I am so happy that you join us and people will notice I'm being more official because uh, Dr. Fry Brown is one of those people uh, that I just can't use their first name. So uh, you will hear Dr. Fry Brown throughout the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well, Dr. Poe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, see, she she's being funny. She never calls me Dr. Poe. So no, know. I don't. I always say Douglas, but <laughs> she does. That's right. She does say Douglas. Well, I am happy that you're with us and glad that you're going to talk with us about keeping preaching fresh. Mm-hmm. I want to begin by asking about preachers often struggle to preach familiar texts, um, especially when they have to do it over and over again. And of course, the easy answer is because they preach the text all the time. But I think it probably goes deeper than that. That is simply, I've looked at this text before. Could you give any insight of why preachers struggle to teach familiar texts, or am I um, actually making more out of this than I should? No, I don't think that you are making more out of it than you should. I think that people struggle with repetition because they do not break a text apart and look at different aspects of the text, that there's so much meaning in each and every text that even a comma can change the meaning of it. Uh, a, a, A diacritical mark can give you something else. And so if, if they don't practice even reading the text in different voices with different kinds of emotion. I think that when you do that, the same text, the text may be the same, but the circumstances surrounding the application of the text have changed. And so if you are pulling up the same sermon all the time and never refilter it, you're going to be bored. You will bore yourself and you will bore the people. And if you use the same way that you preach all the time, the same process, the same layout, people will start 
uh, measuring their emotion and their responsiveness because you don't change at all. And so if one thinks that every time you approach a text, you are a different person, your experience are different. And every time the people hear the text, their experiences are different. So I think you could preach the same text every Sunday for a year and find something different in the text every time you preach the text. If you are aware of the text, the different translations of the text, that you are aware of the different people and their experiential base, and that you are a different person every time you approach the text. Dr. Fry Brown, that is quite a challenge to take the same text and preach it for a year and mm -hmm. be able to make it come alive each week in a different way. Yes. And there's so many form, different sermon forms that you could do a topical, a topical piece. Um, it, it's, it's kind of like one of the exercises that I, I do in intro to preaching that you probably had 150 years ago when you were with me uh, is the joy of the Lord is my strength. Sometimes people say the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I go, what? Look at the words. So you can do the joy, the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is present tense, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. There we had six or seven different words. So you could do a, you could do a topical thing on joy. You could look at each word each week. You could ask yourself, what, how does the meaning change if I change the commas? Mm. So there are different ways to do that, that I think that can be refreshing. And um, then also look at the context, the, the liturgical year context as to how it, it's, it's kind of like as we're rolling through Lent, people say to me, how many times can you preach that he got up? That's right. Right. Well, there are different ways to do that or, or the seven last words or or Ash Wednesday. There's so many different texts. So we have to broaden our idea about what resurrection is and find a different kind of text. We have to broaden what resurrection means with the people that we are preaching. And since you preach a different sermon for everyone that's listening to you because they bring themselves to the text, then there's a multiplicity of ways to even preach resurrection. So sticking with that for a minute, um, and I really appreciate that, I especially I'm still thinking about preaching the same text for 52 <laughs> but how, if I'm preaching, do I, how am I cognizant that I'm sort of falling into the trap of approaching it the same way? Because I, I think, you know, many people would think I am actually approaching it differently, not realizing they probably fall into the trap of just doing it in one particular way um, so that they sort of end up at the same place. So is there a way to sort of catch that so that I can disrupt my pattern of how I preach? I think the word disruption becomes critically important. Some of us schedule out, today I'm going to work on this verse, tomorrow I'll work on the next verse. And so we, we routinize things that we begin to bore ourselves. Mm -hmm. At this time, this is what I'm going to do. So every now and then develop a different routine for that week and it refreshes you because as pastors persons have people that are sick they have budget meetings they have all cleaning out toilets they have all these things they have to do and maybe just maybe it's okay for you not to follow that same routine uh, I've had people that say I can't preach I was up all night with the baby being sick were you thinking about things before the baby was sick mm. well if you're thinking about the sermon and the text every second I don't mean 
cognizantly of it or, or subconsciously, but there's some engagement with life that should be informing. I always say every second of your life informs your next sermon. So you don't have to use the, I, I do three, three alliterations, three points, and that's it. Some Sundays preach one point. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Some yeah. Sundays don't preach points at all. Some Sundays just preach about a word in the text. So you can change. There's so many different ways to enter that. But I think we get routinized because it's easier to follow a routine than to challenge ourselves to do something different. And it, it was kind of like working with pastors during COVID who were so used to in their pattern of delivery even of where people would say amen, but now the people aren't in front of them. So right. they didn't have the visual cues as to when to say things, when to raise their voice, when to do all these things. So working with them about about reading cues on a flat screen, okay? Uh, because you were dealing with all these other things during COVID, including your own creativity, your own isolation, then developing new habits. And also, um, I talked with someone yesterday that they said in their tradition, they preach for two hours. Uh, oh, wow. And, and I went, whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, wow. and, and even talking to people about how you can be very concise and preach the same sermon in less time than an hour, yeah. like 20, 12 to 25 minutes, no more than 30 minutes because people's listening habits change. And so you are a person too. So your habits of engaging a text change, your, your, your study time has now decreased. The ways in which you use resources have decreased. So if you're preaching the same way you were 25 years ago or 15 years ago or 10 years ago, you need to reevaluate what that is because you've become too almost calcified in your creative process and you don't want that to happen. Yeah, thank you. I think that's helpful. You, you talked about uh, the pandemic and of course, um, I'm not gonna say the pandemic's over, but yeah. hopefully we, we are seeing some light at the end of the tunnel. But now a lot of preachers have to preach to people who are in person and they have to preach to a virtual audience. So you're talking about the cues that you have to pay attention to. So mm -hmm. this is, it's a different world to preach. You don't just have, you know, the people right in front of you. Now mm -hmm. you also have to, to some extent, I think, pay attention to those who are joining you virtually. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any advice for how someone can preach to two audiences at the same time? In, in my mind, your preachers are always preaching to more than one audience. Huh, interesting, okay. Because each person listening has their own hermeneutic. They have their own social location. They have their own way of listening to you. They have things that they're thinking about that are different than what you are saying. Uh, before uh, 2020, uh, there were people that were selling cassettes and selling floppies and MP3s. So your audience kept growing or they're watching you on live streaming or they're watching you on television. And you never knew exactly who the audience was with whom you were preaching. Or someone would go and tell someone about the sermon, which may or may not have been what you said in the first place. So we always had to be cognizant that, yes, there were physically people in front of us, but that did not mean that they are agreeing with us or following mm -hmm. along, because sometimes we teach people perfunctory responses, which doesn't necessarily mean that they're paying attention to what we're saying. They just know everybody else is saying amen. So it's like the it's like the collective effervescent waves at football games because somebody else is saying, oh, oh, it's time to say amen. So you're still, <laughs> you have to try, you, you've had to regulate. So what happens now 
because many people are were doing um, sermons on the on the telephone. That they were had a camera and a light, and their child was had the phone and all these other kinds of things. Some of us began attending more to the the, the production than to the word. Yeah. So now, as things are yes, the pandemic, the endemic nature of COVID and other diseases and racism, all these other things are still there. It's I think that people are may need to continue to be more cognizant of their facial expressions, which I've taught for years as a former speech pathologist, their facial expressions and the language that they use, that the language doesn't become so colloquial, that it's not so much in language, but language that someone on the other side of the world would understand. So uh, using abbreviations. And so that, that calls for, I'm not saying don't use them, but once you use a word, there has to be a place that you explain the word, not the dictionary definition or reiterate it because I teach people to use, you can say the same concept over and over again, but you use different words so that everybody, Olin Moyd in the eighties wrote a book and he said that you have to reach each eight and each of those words were preach. And so you, you, you don't know who's listening. Someone can be sitting right in front of you and not pay attention to the words you say. And then someone the difference is the persons that are on online, you don't get immediate feedback. Uh, one of my former students, Dominic Robinson, in 2013, started doing the iHomiletic. Right. So what some people are doing is they're going back and responding to comments in the chat. So you don't know why you're preaching, but you go back later and read the comments in the chat and then respond to those. So that gives you a better connection. It should also inform you about what part of the sermon was understood or not that could inform your next sermon. Just as that line that we used to have where you shook hands at the end of the sermon, where you weren't really paying attention and they said you say things that you know you didn't say. Those are the kinds, so there, there are these tools to still get feedback, even though it's a camera. Yeah. even though there might be people that have, have you will never see. There's a church in Texas and they call themselves uh, the wherever. They have a wherever church, right? Because they may never see those people, but the people are writing comments and responding to them. So they have a digipastor who goes in and responds as the person in the pulpit is preaching. And I think that's not going to go away at all. Yeah. I appreciate it. I really appreciate where you started because I think you're right that um, even with those who are there, they do start with a different hermeneutic. So it really doesn't matter the location is mm -hmm. that you're trying to reach people who all are gonna bring their own hermeneutic to That's the true. sermon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You said something that was interesting that I wanna pick up on that um, in preaching, we're trying to reach different generations. And of course, um, some churches have more generations than others, but, mm -hmm. Um, still, the hope is that you you could be spanning anywhere from someone who's um, in their 90s to someone who's 10 years old in your congregation. Mm -hmm. And the hope is that you're going to be able to say something that connects with all of those individuals. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to do this and to do it well? I mean, many people, you know, they can sort of reach their generation well but it's harder for them to move up or to move down. Um, my 
grandmother at a hundred was listening to rap music <laughs> because she wanted to be able to communicate with her great-grandchildren. A well-read preacher is a solid preacher, a preacher that is aware of cultures and communities outside of their particular demographic is a solid preacher. It doesn't mean you try to be the 10-year-old or the 20-year-old, but you should at least be aware of what is grasping their attention at that moment so that you're not doing this one slice of preaching for everyone that is 10 years either side of who you are. And that means that the preacher has to read and listen and listen and converse and listen and watch and listen in order to, as Moyd would say, reach each ache. Uh, and understand that even within your congregation with different age groups, different generations, a child who's being raised by their grandparents has a different point of view than a child that's being raised by their parents. And so you have to really invest some time. I'm going to say, listen again, because I think past your voice, the best uh, sensory kind of input for preachers is listening mm. and watching and observing. And so in my classes, I have people listen to music they wouldn't ordinarily listen to. I say to preachers, you can't only listen to gospel music and be relevant because some gospel music is not theologically relevant that you have to, it's just yeah, not, it's yeah, just bad, it's just not there, yeah. right? You, you, you can, you can watch reality shows if you want to, but I need you to watch some, some, some um, documentaries also. You can read uh, crime novels, but you may have to read a love novel every now and then because your people are doing that. So you have to also be aware of what cultural matters infuse your particular congregation and not to be so ready to jump on a sociological study that did not include your people as to when you want to shift how you're preaching or shift what is going on in how you're even ordering worship or who's included in worship. And what I have found interesting and experienced this with uh, our own son is even when they, particularly younger people don't seem like they're listening, they're often listening Yes. So that is important that you actually are trying to make sure that, that you're connecting with them, even if it doesn't feel like it's a good use of your time. Yes. I've, I mean, I've asked young people, because I'll hear them use the word, and I'll say, tell me what that means. Tell me, tell me what that word means. I don't necessarily use the word, but I can find a word because we have 50, 60,000 words that we know that's similar to it that might reach someone else with a definition still lodges with that person. Or I did a sermon Sunday where I, I did the, a breath of songs as a litany, but I knew that I had different people in the congregation that would, would come in and go, oh, that's me. She understands that I exist. It's, it's, the, it's the concept of I see you, yes. but also that I hear you. That And avoiding illustrations that demean any demographic, yes. avoid those. Just, just, just. I don't care what people are saying. Don't spend time, time in a sermon talking about those young people, blah. Those old people, blah. Those are, you know, though that 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 negativity pushes them away from hearing the gospel because your illustrations were awful. 
I want to change just a little bit and ask, um, how can we think about holding together different things in a sermon? So for example, um, something happens like in Memphis, Tennessee, but it's also Transfiguration Sunday. Um, so you're trying to hold together preaching this very relevant sort of theme that's in the news, but you're also want to pay attention that in the liturgical season is Transfiguration Sunday. And of course, you can just pick any time of the year, but how do we hold together sort of multiple things at the same time and do them well? You know, because the tendency is I sort of do one well and maybe just mention the other, but I don't really do justice to both well. Right. Um, amazingly, I've had this discussion several times in the last year. <laughs> I could believe it. Of the last two or three years. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think where I am now as a homiletics professor is follow what you usually do at your church because you may have been talking about what happened in Memphis before that happened. Mm -hmm. So your church already knows your stance on that. And it might be addressed in a prayer or a song or a reading. And then the sermon focuses on whatever that liturgical event is. That's one way. Another way is it depends on if I'm preaching Lent, if, I, if, if I'm preaching Good Friday, James Cone talks about the cross, the lynching tree, it falls right together. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you, one needs to, to read the room. I'm having a conference about that later this month. Read the room to, to know which of those places I'm going to address a social issue. Now, I'm going to complicate matters, but I say to people also, perhaps the Sunday after an event happens is not the Sunday to necessarily preach on that event because you do not have all the information. You have what's scrolled on the news, more details later. And sometimes if you have not been addressing that all the way through, you may have the tendency to fall over your feet because you're giving partial information and then you have to spend five Sundays saying, I was wrong about this. More has come to light. Maybe we should reconsider. You see? And so if you are, uh, if you are known as a pastor, preacher, church, that's always doing things on the front line, they already know where you stand on it. Pray about it. If you are not, and, and you, you focus on other things and use Transfiguration Sunday, you want to talk about Transfiguration, do a prayer. Do a prayer or have a, a talk after church or something about that. And the next Sunday, address it because you will have more information and you're not so, um, you don't feel forced into changing because those last minute four sermons fall apart right. because your emotional overlay wipes out any kind of call for action, compassion, prayer, whatever, because you are still in shock about what goes on. Um, and sometimes depending on your social, your, your location of the church, if this is happening in your city, that may be the Sunday that you read the text from Transfiguration and you pray because that's as much of a sermon in that moment, because now you're attending to the aches and pains of the people that are on the front line. 
or that's the Sunday that you do a five minute sermon and you shift to some other kind of liturgical, because I, I believe that a sermon is part of the worship. It is not the entirety of the worship service. And I think that's where we get lost, that this is the star event. Just wait, the sermon's coming. Well, what was the rest of the service? And why did you have me study for 45 minutes if that didn't matter? And so it might be that. And so we also have to be sensitive enough to know that preaching takes place in different ways, that it's not always a prescribed little event where somebody does this thing and everybody's applauding, everybody's grounding, you know, there are other ways to preach. Your action at that time may be the better sermon. Yeah. Our time has gone really quickly. So we're about to come to a close. I know I, it, it has flown by, I'm amazed myself, but I, I want to end with this question. It's particularly true now in mainline congregations that, um, because of decline, you have more and more lay pastors, people who are either bivocational or they work full time and they will preach on Sunday or people who don't go through the traditional route to become ordained. What advice can you give to sort of lay pastors, uh, particularly who are bivocational, who don't have the time necessarily to prepare sermons in a way that someone who is a full-time minister does. Read, 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 read the text. Mm -hmm. Get into the text until you feel it. Wrestle with the text. Do not compare yourself to anybody else who has preached the sermon before what you've heard. Preach what you know in your head God has given you and in your heart that your people need. It is not a performance or competition moment. It is for you to with passion and compassion, relay the word of God that people will live. And as I say often, love the people enough to want them to live. That's what I would say to people starting out. Dr. Fry Brown, I really appreciate it. This has been excellent. And uh, thank you for your time. You know, cause you are the busiest woman in theological education. <laughs> I love you, Douglas Poe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos.